thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauli and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com, as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week, creativity. Having an innovative mindset and a creative plan is key in this business. Our next guest has taken his creative skill set plus revenue mindset and has made a tremendous career out of it. I'm excited to have our next guest, Kurt Schneider, executive chairperson and board member for a variety of prominent companies in the sports and entertainment space. Kurt, welcome to the show. Hey, Travis, thank you for having me here. I'm very excited to talk with you today. This is awesome, Kurt, and and what a great career you've had, and I'm excited to have the listeners hear all about it. So let's start with how we started this podcast off, which is the creativity and the creative space. Why do you think it is so important for successful people to have that creative mindset? So I think you should look through the prism of creativity of anything you do in business, anything. I think you should ask questions all the time. Why? Why not? How? What if? I think looking at things differently allows your daily business to do even better. Even if you go back and revert to just what you've been doing for the last five years, it's fine. But to look through a creative prism and say, how else can we be doing this is really cool. You know, I always say in business, we tend to track our brains one way. It's like you're going north, south, and that you train your brain. This is the way we do things. The best thing we can do for our brains is do something east, west. Try Learn an instrument at night. Join your local, you know, theater company and get in a play. Do something to get your brain just going in a different direction, and it'll help your business every time. No, absolutely. And, you know, going back, you know, Kurt, all the way back to the beginning, you grew up in Scarsdale, New York. You end up spending early on in your childhood three years in Tokyo, which which really got you you know, moving and shaking and loving the idea of traveling. Then you go to Dartmouth College, you receive a degree in English literature. And so certainly with that degree and that you know kind of path and being in Tokyo, the creativity started at a young age. What did you think you wanted to do when you grew up? Well, it's funny. I'll tell you that that in a second. But firstly, Dartmouth, about 10 years ago, the someone from the English department called me up and they said, listen, can we do an interview with you? And I said, yeah, why? They're like, we don't have too many CEOs that were English majors. <laughs> yeah. It's a little so bit different of a career path. 
it was just interesting, right? I mean, and I, I did not get my MBA. Um, and I truly was in English literature with a focus on contemporary American fiction. There was not a lot of quantitative analysis in my education. It was qualitative, but I will tell you, and everyone has their different thoughts about it, but being an English major was phenomenal for business because it taught me critical thinking. I learned how to apply critical thinking to everything and that type of analysis to life and to business. And it was incredible what it gave me. It gave me that platform to look at it. What did I want to do when I grew up? I wanted to be a quarterback in the NFL for sure. sure. Oh, that was it for me. And that, you know, I did play football for 11 years. Uh, I was not close enough to making the NFL. In fact, I wasn't even close enough. I stood on the sidelines uh, and on Dartmouth football team for two years and hung up my helmet after that. You're like, I'm done. I would like to say I was on the team. I didn't do much playing, but I was on the hey, team. That, that's all that matters. And, you know, then you, you're coming out of college. Your first opportunity out of college comes with in New York in, in the advertising agency. And then you go on to the Walt Disney Company and then Fox Sportsnet. And so what were some key learnings you look back at that time early on in your career that you still apply to your every day? Yeah. So I, when people say, what type of business person are you? I always say, at my core, I'm a brand guy. And brands have taken on now in this digital age where anyone can start a company in eight seconds. Brands are even more important than they ever were. And everyone talks about branding, branding, branding. But that's what I got taught at Saatchi and Saatchi and Shia Day, that this is what it means to engage your customer, your fan, your, your um, whoever's using your product. It's all about what that brand stands for. So in advertising, you got 30 seconds. Now you have everything else, but you had 30 seconds to create a connection. Then I go to the Walt Disney Company and brand is all it's about, right? That was the wholesome entertainment brand. And then Fox, we had a different brand when we started Fox Sportsnet. But the consistency was branding. And I always like to say what I learned was how to grab onto your emotional lapels and not let go. And that's what I want to do in anything I do. I want to emotionally connect and engage with my audience. I love it. You know, we talk a lot about in this business, no matter what you're doing, is having a passion for it. And, you know, that analogy of of growing, you know, and, and taking on that emotional lapel and going in with the emotion every single day to strive to be elite. So I love that. And, you know, your next stop after Fox Sportsnet is a great entrepreneurial opportunity with a couple, a company called Asimba, which was an online training company where you were the CEO and president and led a $20 million fundraising campaign. And, and first, you know, a lot of this world is, is taking risk. And what made you take that leap into that type of role that may look like a risk on paper? Yeah, no, it was it was a risk on everything. Um, you know, I was I loved advertising, but I was done with it because I was an account guy. I wasn't a copywriter or an art director. So I saw what my skill set was, which was doing the strategy, was being outsourced or insourced to the client more. And because I wasn't coming up with the ads, I thought, huh, I don't have the integral skill set they're looking for here. I go to Disney, big company, terrific Fox, huge company. And I realized, you know, I wasn't as geared for a big company as I liked. I liked it a lot. I had success, but I wanted to really roll up my sleeves and not think about having a meeting to have another meeting to then go to another meeting. I wanted to jump in and do. And so a headhunter called me and said, 
and this is 1999, so it was .com 1.0. Hey, do you want to become CEO of a pre-IPO sports.com? I was like, wow, you had me at home. Right. And so I went up there and we we changed it from a sort of a race sign-up site to a sports and fitness lifestyle site. And Travis, we were so far ahead of our time. It was so great. We had a Palm Pilot app and a Palm Pilot was oh, a yeah. precursor for all these things. We had to deal with 24 hour fitness. We were, if you wanted to get in shape for a marathon, a triathlon or ski season or gain weight or lose weight, you'd come to us, put all your information in and we give you a daily email with exactly what you were supposed to do that day. Totally personally driven for you. We were Fitbit before Fitbit, Peloton before Peloton. Yeah. Sigh. But it was the wrong time. We didn't do too well. I gave my investors 12 cents on the dollar after the dot-coms crashed, and they thought that was a victory. Yeah. But you were on the forefront of thinking, and, and which has certainly helped propel your career. And now I know getting to know you, Kurt, and you briefly mentioned there as well, like training development is very important for you and, and for all of the organization. So why is it so valuable for companies to provide that constant training and development? Because it doesn't matter how great your product is. It doesn't matter how great your technology is. If you don't have committed, passionate, fulfilled people that are propagating what your product is and getting it out there, building it, marketing it, servicing it, selling it, you're not going to do anything. It doesn't matter how great your product is. So people are, I know it's an overused thing, but people are the most important thing for any company. And what you need to do with your staff, at least what I always believed in is, they need to understand what's going on. No one likes toiling in obscurity. No one likes, I don't know why I'm doing my job. They want to know no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm in accounting, sales, marketing, whatever I'm in, this is what it means for the company. This is what it means for the overall. So you need to communicate and over-communicate, get them to understand what they're doing, and then they're fulfilled, and then they're working more, and then everyone's better off. And then it comes together. Now, some advice to listeners, especially those listeners out there that are in a leadership chair or want to be in a leadership chair. Oftentimes, I certainly hear, well, like, I'll spend some time training development, but I, I need them to be on the phones if they're selling, or I need them to be in market doing this. Like, what's your advice on being efficient and effective to ensure that no matter what, you've got to train and develop or everything else doesn't fall in place? You said it. It's a, it's a, it is a, you got to take the long view. And you can't jump someone in to get a sale now because then they'll screw it up later on. Right. Take the time. There is, and here's the other thing I tell people. There's always enough time. Anyone who says I have no time, you know, my bullshit meter goes C off. Complete right? BS, right, exactly. There's always enough time. Take the time. Yep. And, and no different from people that are looking for that, that next step or that first stop in their career is like, understand who your leaders are. Are they willing to give you time? You know, you want to work around those people that are willing to invest in you and time and money and resources, you know, to, to sure. make you the best. When I, you know, when I first started getting more and more higher leadership positions and more people underneath me, I always did what a lot of people do. I looked at the bosses I had and what are their, what are their, their attributes that I liked and I'm going to do more of those. And one of the ones I didn't like, and I'm going to try not to do those. And I'm sure a lot of people that work for me are doing the same thing. Sadly, they probably have a big list of things they didn't like. <laughs> no, like, All right. that's BS. No chance. Well, you know, Kurt, as, as, as you kind of continued on and working around the right people, you know, the next stop for you is a, is a big one, as it's the EVP and CMO of WWE. And you helped run the live events, marketing, talent, branding, promotions, and really oversaw 75% of the total company's revenue. And so 
How is that overall experience for you? So it was phenomenal. It was four years. And it, but as we say, four years at WWE is like dog years. It's like 28 years anyplace else. <laughs> it was, but I, I reported right to Vince and uh, it was, it was classic because his son reported to him, his daughter, and then the guy who ran television who had been with him forever and me, it was guess which one ain't like the other ones. Yeah. I wasn't a wrestling tree. fan. I was not a wrestling fan growing up, so I didn't know it. Uh, which was kind of weird in and of itself, but I was passionate about the business model. And I thought Vince is our generation's PT Barnum, right? He is phenomenal. He knows how to create that emotional connection. And what Vince used to always say is, I want people either booing or cheering. Silence is deadly, right? Need to have a reaction. So he would create these characters. And what he did, which was so brilliant from a business model is, He'd create the the content once. So you have the characters and their whole dilemma, the superstars, they'd get in the ring at a live event and they'd put on that content. But then that same content would be proliferated everywhere. So it's on TV, it's on a pay-per-view, it's in a, a, a consumer product, it's online, it's everything. It was a brilliant, efficient model. He was a storyteller and everything's about telling stories. So I learned tremendous, but the best thing about it for me was I went in there as a marketing person, even though I was president and CEO at a Simba, I was a marketing person and I came out the, out of there an executive. He allowed me in those four years to flex and learn my operational chops like I never had before. So I learned how to run businesses. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, along those lines that, you know, I grew up a huge WWE fan, you know, the ultimate warrior days, the Hulk Hogan's, the macho man days. And, you know, I've just always heard, you know, even as growing up and in this business and seeing a guy like Vince McMahon, an entrepreneur, a business mindset, but also how intense he is, you know, how was working for a guy like him? <laughs> Very intense. Yeah. Uh, it was to say the least, <laughs> to say the least. And here's the thing, Vince. Um, one of the great things I loved about Vince was, as I mentioned, we had a lot of people that were, were, were big fans of wrestling. And because of that, that's why they worked there. And because of that, they didn't want to lose their job. And because of that, they became working by fear. Not that Vince ran by fear, but they were working by fear that they were going to lose this great dream job. Because I was not a fan and because I had worked at Disney and Saatchi and Fox, I knew I could get another job. So it was a bit of a paradox. I would speak my mind and I would tell to Vince in my one-on-one all these different things I wanted to do. No one else would do that. Yeah. They were like, loved it. But Vince loved it. And he kept giving me more responsibility. I came in at marketing and I did the first corporate business plan we ever did, which is, huh, we have WrestleMania 20 coming up in a year. Currently, all of our businesses are these independent silos that are not talking to each other. It is a Trojan horse to galvanize the company under WrestleMania 20. So I wrote a corporate business plan. We never had it before. We got all the companies, all the divisions together. And it was a huge success. It wasn't brain surgery. It was a huge success. And then I went into Vince about two months after WrestleMania 20. And I said, Vince, I have nothing to do with international, but I wrote this global business plan because I think we could be doing better for international. You know what he says? You're now running international too. Go do it. You and Shane go do it. And then he gave me live events and then he gave me other things, but he respected 
the fact that I was out there pushing and trying and thinking for the company and not scared about what I wasn't doing, but thinking about what I could do. Good. And I think that's great advice in general. You know, I've always been taught if you have to think, think big, you know, why just do even to your point, why just do what your job responsibilities are, continue to push yourself to the next level, which will only help you grow. And you, we talk about the value of people and you kind of mentioned, you know, how intense, but great business mindset mentality, you know, Vince was, what do you feel like were some key characteristics that he brought to the team on a consistent basis? So passion for what you do, passion, passion, passion. He was always, you know, good enough was not enough. Okay, you did that. Well, what else can you do? How can you do it better? How can you do different? And you talk about hustle. He said on many occasions, we might not be able to outthink people. We might not be able to outsmart people, but we will outwork them and out hustle them every single day. Now that guy's work ethic, I can't even come close to it. Um, but the idea that you bring passion to your job and you constantly try to think of what I can do differently, what I can do better is always pushing the envelope. There's not, it's not one of these status quo. Let me come in and push some papers around and leave. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Kurt Schneider, executive chairperson and board member for a variety of prominent companies in the sports and entertainment space. And Kurt, after spending four and a half years with WWE, you go from one massive creative brand to another as now the CEO of the Harlem Globetrotters. Why was that the right opportunity for you? So I loved working at WWE, but Vince was the CEO. And I wanted to run a company and he was going nowhere and it was his company and he shouldn't go anywhere. Right. And so I got a call and from a headhunter and said, a private equity company is bought about a year and a half ago, the Harlem Globetrotters. And the first thing I said was, are they still around? And I realized what a huge challenge it was going to be in a turnaround. Yep. This was a beloved American icon that had fallen on tough times. There yep. was no reason for being for the Harlem Globetrotters when I got there in 2007. They'd been reduced to being a live event touring troupe, which means they would just go into your city and their, their whole business model was wrong. I wouldn't think about them ever. Maybe if they came to Detroit, I heard their radio ads and I went to see them, but then I left and didn't think about them again because there was no way to capture me or engage me for a whole nother year. Right. There was no names on the back of jerseys. 
It was running on nostalgic fumes. It was, oh, my father took me or my mother took me, so I'll take my daughter, I'll take my son. But that's not sustainable. So we had lost a whole generation of fans. And I saw it as, at the time, I was 40 years old, 41 years old, a huge challenge and a challenge that I was ready. And given my background, I was, my background was perfect for it at that time. And it was why I made the move. And I think, you know, for the listeners, obviously they, they hear your passion and energy, but it's also a great opportunity that it's not, Hey, just come in and say status quo, or it's a plug and play. Like you're going to come in with your innovative mindset, mentality, bring the right people in the process to, to make that. And, you know, throughout your nine years with the Globetrotters, you traveled around the world and rejuvenated the brand and delivered record-breaking revenues and profits. So what do you feel like you and your team did on such a consistent basis to have so much success? So I'm going to answer that in a second. I want You made a great point there that I want to bring up. So, and everyone's different. Everyone's got their own thing, what drives them. But at the same time as um, looking at the Globetrotter job, I was called to be the CMO of ESPN. And at the time... Even the headhunter said to me, look, your background is perfect for this, but they just want someone to keep their hands on the wheel. They don't want ESPN's doing great. They don't want it's on cruise control. Keep it on cruise control. And I did not want that at all. So, I mean, it just gets to your point, right, of what you want. You're like, no cruise control here. No. (laughs) So the Globetrotters, so we came in. And I brought in some new executive leadership, plus I had some guys that had the institutional knowledge that were around. And first we started with the product and we looked at the players, the players of the product. And I said, okay, you need three things to be a globe charter. You have to be a great basketball player, right? Because the ball has to go into hoop in order to work. You have to be a great entertainer because that's what we are. We're an entertainment company. And you have to be a great person because we're selling wholesome family entertainment. And what I did is I said, we're going to change the vision of the company. We're not a live event touring troupe, which is what they were. We're a global entertainment company. And that is the prism that everyone in the company needs to look through. So we create IP. We happen to do it on the basketball court with tremendous players, but we are creating IP. We're a content company. We're an entertainment company and we're global. So we want to interact with our audience Whenever and wherever they want to, whenever they want to have a globetrotter impression, it's got to be there on the court, on their you know, phone, on their TV, on their computer, in the store, wherever. So we created this whole new vision, which I then broke down to just three words so that every single person in the company, from our chief operating officer to the player on the court, to our guy driving a merch truck, to our receptionist, knew what it was. Consistent consumer contact. That became the mission for the company. We want everyone to get content out, consistent consumer content contact wherever and whenever they wanted to. And that drove us to everything we did. We got the players in a better place. We created a great new product and a storyline around the, around the show. And then we got it out on all these different uh, platforms, different platforms. No, that's awesome. And you know, I've, I've been to countless, you know, Globetrotter games, you know, in, in my life and that creativity was always at the highest level. And it, it certainly is, is interesting to hear what all went behind that to make sure, you know, to make an impact, you know, and to make an impact of wanting to come year over year. And, you know, as you think about both WWE and the Globetrotters and those key initiatives and those roles, 
a lot of our listeners are on a team side that may be selling group tickets or season tickets, you know, for a team. You're in a new market with both WWE and the Globetrotters every single event. And so there wasn't such thing as a season ticket holder. And so what were some of those key initiatives to still make an impact and from a revenue perspective? Yeah. So that's a great question. It's, it's pros and cons, right? The pros of having a, a stadium and a team is great because you can get season ticket holders. The con there is, okay, I'm playing 81 baseball games in my same season. It's tough, right? Yep. So we said the cons about being a traveling team is, shit, we don't, the cons of this are how are we going to get these people to come in? We don't have season ticket holders. Right. The positive is we're coming once to your town. Just once, you, yeah. The urgency, man, you got to yep. see this. We can thing. manufacture our own demand. And exactly. And that's what we did. And we would one year and you talk about creativity. So one of the great things, because I do love to be creative, um, is I helped write the show every year. There was one guy who was our producer. He and I would write the storyline every year. And in every story we wrote, we try to think about ticket sales every year. And in a lot of cases, it would be something like one year we were playing for the world championship every single night. Hey, um, Travis City, we're going to, we could have played anywhere in the world for the world championship. We're playing with at you Tuesday, February 6th at 7.30. Come see us. So we would create in the story some hook every year to say, you've got to come see this. The Washington Generals are making their comeback right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, here it is. I, I like the, the sound of Travis City. I hope so yeah, one day that, I hope that one day I lands somewhere. Year. You know, so Kurt, many times here on 52 Weeks of Hustle, I talk to people about being able to still have so, so, so much success, regardless of team performance, can't control wins and losses. And, you know, even talk about some of their records. Like I know personally, I have a 330 winning percentage, which is, is not great. But now with the Globetrotters in their history, they've only lost 345 games, over 27,000 wins, a 987 winning percentage. So, you know, do you use that stat in your everyday conversations? So a couple of things. Number one is, yes, I tell people, if you want someone who's won, my record at the Globetrotters, 3,463 and oh. And oh. Never Perfect. lost. Perfect 3, record. 3,463 games. Um, when LeBron James was leaving the Cavaliers the first time, the decision. The decision. <laughs> we made a play for him, and it was a big PR initiative. And I remember having an interview with um, a New York Post sports writer. And he said to me, and I was trying to say this all with a straight face too. And he said, well, why would LeBron come to the Globetrotters? He said, he wants to play for a winner. We never he to, lose. He wants to win. Yeah, exactly. If you want to go to a winning team, come on. We're the winningest team in history. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, after your time with the Harlem Globetrotters, you become part of several brands and startups as a board member. And you, you currently advise a ticketing supply company called Logitix, which you're the executive chairperson. And, you know, in addition, you're helping you know, multiple companies, including one big one with the Premier Rugby Services. And so being that you, you spent your entire career and had that CEO and that C-level executive experience, what do you enjoy most about advising some of these up and coming businesses and some of the up and coming executives? It's a great question. And it's one that I'm evolving over the last couple of years. Being when you're a CEO, you are, it is, it's like any role, but when you're CEO, it's 24 seven, that brand and that job becomes you and every decision you feel like you don't have to make, but you're involved with somewhere, somehow. 
And I, uh, that was the biggest transition for me because I wasn't the CEO anymore. Someone else is. And a couple of times in the beginning, especially at Logitech, I was like, well, shouldn't I be going? No, I don't have to. We have a great CEO in Stu Hallberg. The guy's fantastic. My role is to make him better. And I've embraced the role as executive chair. I tell people at the end of the day, I'm Yoda. I sit there and I listen and I drive and I give advice and I help provide direction and I'm a sounding board. So it's, I'm strategic, I'm marketing, I'm a confidant, I'm a friend, and I'm also, you know, I, I provide the carrot and I provide the stick. And the stick, yeah, both of both worlds. Well, in this business, we often talk about the value of individual team members thinking as business owners and really owning their own business each and every day, regardless of what role you are within a company. And so what is your advice for listeners to, to really always think big and hold themselves accountable each and every day? So I think a couple of things. One is look around and look at the other roles within your company. Don't just be in your lane. See what else, because then you understand what not only what the company is doing, but what the company could do. Yep. And I used to bring something when I was CEO and even when I was at WWE and, and at Fox and different places to my groups, it's called Welsh rugby. So I played rugby in college and we had a coach in one practice every year. He said, okay, guys, we're doing Welsh rugby. Now in rugby 15s, there's two big groups. There's the pack and they're the backs and the pack are the guys where the backs say, Oh, those Neanderthals, they're just in there. They're in the primordial soup. They don't know what they're doing. We do all the work. We score. The pack says to the backs, look at those dainty guys who just run around and score. We're doing all the work. You're not doing anything yet. Huge issues. So every in this Welsh rugby, one time a year, we play a full scrimmage in practice where the guys in the pack played backs and the guys in backs played pack. And what it did is it gave you perspective and respect. So in business, I've done this many times. I'll take one of our current initiatives we're going for a problem and I'll take the five different guys. Okay, finance, your sales, sales, your operations, operations, your marketing, whatever it is. And, we, and you have to come to, well, I'll give them a week or two weeks. You come to this offsite and you have to present to the problem we have from your new perspective, from your new position. Yep. So long way of saying, get perspective is the most important thing. Be fulfilled in what you do. If you're not fulfilled, go do something else. Go do something Be different. passionate about what you want to do. And at the end of the day, have fun. I mean, yep. those are those are three sort of big takeaways for me. No, absolutely. Well, you know, Curtis, your time as you think about your as an operating advisor, what are you most proud of as you think about how you're continuing to assist with commercial growth, marketing, business development, and career development? So the answer is yes. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, it's that all, all of those the above. Ways. But I'll tell you one of the one of the things I, I that was great with Logitech when I started there was. You know, I I always say it's really important for a company to have a very clear positioning, right? And that's where a lot of companies miss. They think they're doing this, but their consumers or their fans think it's something else. And there's a disconnect there, right? There's a miss. And so what I always say is, okay, what you need to do is come up with a positioning that people get. If I were to wake you up in the middle of the night and I said your company's name to that person, besides I'm getting pissed off that I woke up in the middle of the night, what do you want them to say? And that was one thing we worked at when I got to Logitech. We had a bunch of different 
things and everyone was saying different things of what we were. So we worked on it. We came up with, you know, we're the most trusted and innovative solution for optimizing ticket sales. And that has really driven everyone in the company knows it. It's now across our huge wall in our office. Everyone gets it. Everyone will tell you that's what it is. And so that helps them think, am I being innovative? Am I being a trusted solution? Huh? If I'm not, let me not do it, right? Let me, it takes some of the subjectivity out of it and creates this filter through which all your business stuff pushes and it becomes objective, not subjective, whether you do something or not. Right. No, absolutely. And you, as you, in addition to always giving back and, and a lot of our listeners probably like, you know, Kurt sounds really good. He, he seems like he does it. Well, you do. You, you also host a weekly podcast, Smart Drivel. So you'll give the listeners, you know, a little bit of an elevator pitch for your, for your weekly show as well. Oh, well, thank you. It's always good for one podcast to, to help another. Yeah. So I have a podcast. It's called Smart Drivel, D-R-I-V-E-L, Smart Drivel. And my co-host, John, and I, it's two guys talking about fun topics in history, in society, or with different words, different phrases where they come from. And we hope you learn something along the way. And you usually laugh an awful lot. So we talk about where do words come from? Where did the word posh come from? Where do phrases come from? Blowing smoke up your butt. Where does that come from? Why? Uh, what does it mean? About when you clink wine glasses, why do you, when you cheers, why do you clink glasses? And we give you the whole history behind all these things. We had a whole episode on how beer saved civilization and, and was, the, was the reason for our civilization as we know it today. We've done dinner parties with who would you like throughout time to come and sit next to you, fictional or real, yeah. dead or alive. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it's 25 minutes. It's, our tagline is we promise the drivel and hope for the smart. And it's every Monday at 9 a.m. wherever you can find podcasts. Yeah, as you say, tune into to your local podcast provider. And, you know, Kurt, this has been awesome. Ton of, ton of great advice, great experience, and, you know, what a great career you've had, and, and it's going to continue to go on. And as you look back, what do you feel like has been your best memory? Uh, you know, I think my best memory was the first year I took over the Harlem Globetrotters. I put in this whole storyline. Again, we've been – We'd been down in the dumps and all the players knew I came from WWE. They were worried about a storyline of getting hit over the head with a steel chair. But I created this storyline that came from my youth in sports when I, I'm a huge Knicks fan. And Willis Reed came back in game seven in 1970. He was injured and the crowd went crazy. So I put a little storyline together the very first year, which was the Washington Generals are coming back to play the Globetrotters and they're great and they end up injuring the star player and then he'll come back in the fourth quarter and lead them to victory. Well, everyone wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if it was going to work. Everyone was unsure. I told the players, you're going to be stars. They're going to love you. I told the main showman this. We went to the Harlem Armory and we had a ton of kids we brought in from the police athletic league and schools and we were all on pins and needles. Sure enough, the showman gets injured and goes out. When he comes back in the fourth quarter, the crowd went insane. And we all said, we got it. Here we go. That and I met Warren Buffett and sat next to him uh, in a couple of games. Who was great. We had him take a four-point shot, which I invented for the Globetrotters. Nice. And I met the Pope, who we made an honorary Globetrotter. So those were some memories. What a great experience. And, and Kurt, to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? All right. Ready. What's the last thing you completed on your bucket list? I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Wow. That's uh, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. 
If a movie was made about your life, who would you want to play yourself? George Clooney. Okay. Now you have probably talked about this on your podcast, but if you hosted a late night talk show, who would be your first guest? Winston Churchill. All right. Nice. I love it. Well, Kurt, not alive, but if I could bring him back. Right, right. If you bring him back, of course. Well, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? You know, uh, it's what I said before. It is be creative, be passionate, and have fun. Couldn't agree more. You know, and that's the whole theme of this podcast, right? Is is we started off with creativity. You've worked with a lot of creative brands. You have a creative mentality and mindset, the passion, the energy. You got to, and and most importantly, <laughs> we're we're not brain surgeons, right? You know, you got to have fun. You got to have fun what you're doing. And so, Kurt, thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you. I certainly appreciate your time, your expertise, and certainly your insights into this industry and and being that creative mentality. Travis, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.